I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Good. So welcome to this episode of uh, Eurobytes. And I always keep saying that it's just it's just so true. So I, I need to keep saying it. Oh, my God, the world we are living in, things are just faster than we could ever keep track of it. But what a time to be alive. What a time to be in podcasting. And I have learned more about the way the media works, about more about the way propaganda works in the last two to three weeks than I have throughout an entire lifetime. And there's no shortage of issues. There's no shortage of, 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 of stuff to dis uh, discuss today. It is, again, going to be a rather Germany-centric episode. But I will kick it off with a tiny footnote before I hand over to Fabian and Lucas about everything interesting that has been happening in Germany. Yes, the farmer protests are still going on. Yes, um, the astroturf uh, protests against AFD are still going on. Um, and yes, the government has successfully shifted the conversation from the very legitimate issues that the farmers raised to, oh my God, uh, we fear insurrections and fascists everywhere. But there's also another interesting story of a um, activist, small time activist who's quite prominent, having uh, managed to... Sorry, I was, I was <laughs> late on that. Sorry about that. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> a, a, a rather small, under-resourced activist who's nonetheless prominent having his profile boosted by the German government because he understands their own game better than they do, and he's checkmated them. So this and more in this episode, I will lead off with um, a quick footnote from the UK because it is an interesting um, anniversary. So well, it was a couple of uh, days ago, it was the Brexit four-year anniversary, and I was actually one of the folks who actually celebrated it on Parliament Square, where I read, was surprised to read the next day in the newspapers 900 idiots celebrate Brexit in front of Cam uh, Parliament Square. Turns out it was more like 40,000 of us. So, um, so that was interesting. But a couple of uh, footnotes, kind of like um, everybody's favorite economist, Paul Kirkman, predicted that the US economy would never recover from Trump. A lot of UK economists and US economists predicted that the UK economy would never, ever recover from Brexit. A couple of numbers. So trade with the European Union in 2019 when, when the UK left the EU was 298 billion. Now the trade vo volume of the UK, of the amount of stuff that the UK ships into the EU 
I should say, is 340 billion. So it's gone up and uh, considerably. The GDP uh, growth in the UK is better than that of Germany, France, and Italy combined. However, less than that of Poland. But Poland, as we discussed, uh, has rocket fuel uh, in its tank for various issues, quite often literal rocket fuel. And Spain, that's a separate issue we can dive into in another time. But yes, it's doing better than, 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 than its big peers of comparable size. And foreign direct investment has nearly doubled uh, since 2019. With that being said, um, let's quickly revisit. And I'm just going to ping over things to uh, Fabian um, before pinging it over to Lucas. So Fabian first. Quick, quick reminder the everything that came out since the German domestic agents, uh, since the German media and, uh, and the fact checker collective, the corrective, um, published their bombshell of the news about what happened in, in the, that conspiratorial meeting that was all about remigration and things that have come out since then. So, Fabian, kick us off. Things that have come out with that before Lucas um enlightens us what happened with his fellow countryman martin zellner and how he checkmated the german government so over to you fabian thank you well um the the reasoning and what we're witnessing with regard to the whole corrective and uh um uh, remigration debate has to continually be put under the light of the discussion around the fact that the farmers are really taking it to the streets. Um, you see them in Berlin, you see them in Brussels, you see them continually on the streets and they're not stopping and they're not backing down. We did a discussion in an episode earlier where we talked about the farmers blocking the ferry boat of uh, economics minister Habeck. So he couldn't reach the land. Uh, he couldn't reach uh, any of the shores, so they had to turn around. We and 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 we we discussed already the massive protests that had taken place in Berlin, and quite frankly, these protests were dominating the media. So, what better instance, what better event could happen than some right-wing loonies meeting in some random hotel? discussing the remigration debate to frame the AfD in a direction as if they're going to throw out all of the foreigners in Germany, including those with a passport, which, by the way, is complete nonsense because even AfD members have stated themselves, and, and there's quite a few AfD members of uh, foreign origin that said if... if uh, <laughs> Uh, if if they were, uh, I mean, were they going to get deported to Poland or Madagascar or any place like that? The thing is, the, these debates and this the thing that took place in Potsdam was more and more a publicity stunt to move the attention away from the farmer protest, to move the attention away from the fact that more and more working class communities, different strands of jobs, lines of work, people organized among their trades to go on the street to protest this government, to protest their economic policy. And 
unfortunately, I have to be honest, the Germans, as they usually act, are very obedient to what their superiors tell them. So you have to remember, and this is one of the most bizarre um, instances in our history. You have the federal government calling for protests against an opposition party. Usually in the past, you had grassroots movement of the opposition calling for protests against the governing party. Now you have the, the, the government calling for protests against the people they fear the most. The, the party they fear is going to steal their votes. Now, is there a backlash or is this working? As of right now, the media has been heavily covering this. They've been constantly showing images of big cities where hundreds and thousands of people from Hamburg, Berlin, Munich are gathering to protest. But it's quite stunning to see that the people that are involved in this so-called cover-up of what happened at that hotel, um, more and more uh, um, signs are aligning that even the um, the uh, uh, federal agencies were involved in this corrective. Now, th that's still something that's up to debate. But there seems to be the constitutional, um, how would you, Verfassungsschutz, how would you translate that? The um, like Constitutional Protection Service. Constitutional yeah. Protection Service, wonderful. And Thank it's you. an intelligence service, to be sure. It's not yeah, the it is an intelligence, intelligence basically. Exactly. It's the, the German NSA, basically. Right. And, and, and they've, been, they've been working hand-in-hand uh, hand with the government to, to push this. And quite frankly, the, the head of the... Um, of the Verfassungsschutz, the Constitutional Protection Service, Herr Haldenwang, he's a member of the CDU, and he's been openly, openly stating that the AfD is a nemesis and has to be battled up uh, and, and fought against. So we're witnessing a, a, a German state, a government that is up in arms against a political enemy that they can't ban that they can't get rid of and the backlash we're witnessing is that the member uh the memberships of the ifd are growing intensely however they have lost i think two points in the percentages in in, in the recent polls but this is january and the national federal elections are coming up in uh, september of 2025 the elections that everybody's gearing up, though, uh, however, are the uh, the European elections. So uh, the developments that we're witnessing are still out in the open. And we're going to see what consequences are going to come from this. I just don't see the um, the German government being able to uphold this 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 massive protest just because um People tire out after a while. Remember, you know, the, the, the Friday for Future youth went on the streets in 2019 and ahead of the European elections um, in May of 2019. The streets were filled with people protesting to save the climate. They're gone. They're not protesting anymore in that heavy instance. So you ha constantly have to feed a new narrative mm, to basically... Um, uphold this protest against the far right. 
What's interesting, though, is in, in just on a quick tad bit, and, and Christian, you had mentioned this um, in a pre-discussion. What's interesting is that this whole climate debate has basically died down ever since the, the invasion uh, of the Russians in Ukraine. And if, you, if you're actually witnessing what European states are doing, first and foremost, one of the most liberal countries in Europe, Sweden, they've been rolling completely back on their climate policies. They've been building nuclear power plants. They've been abandoning uh, the green taxes. They've been abandoning um, any of those uh, climate goals they set for themselves. And those big, high-pushed climate goals, I mean, that was in the top of the agenda in 2019. So now, um, five years later, what is the agenda now? Stop the right. Stop the right at any instance. And that's what we're witnessing. Thank you, Fabian. Before I ha hand over to Lucas, I mean, there's something interesting. Um, were the mainstream parties, I think, and do correct me, uh, just by their main instruments in Germany, are, uh, find it far easier to mobilize people in an astroturf way onto the street because obviously, for instance, the Social Democrats got all access, direct access to all the labor unions. Um, they've got their own newspapers. Then obviously there's the public uh, television. I mean, that would be like, a, not that it doesn't exist with, with officially private media from the White House to various media outlets, but that's really like a direct mouthpiece. So. So that, that is an interesting bit. I'm, I'm going to say one bit um, to just differentiate the farm protests, which are truly grassroots, um, and those astroturf, nonetheless, very big protests. So you, if you see the farmers rolling by, driving past, that you've got people to the left and to the right of the street cheering. You don't you, you see very little of that cheering of uh, uninvolved bystanders of those demonstrations but i mean i find it interesting in my favorite pastime a bit of a masochistic one is reading the state media where when it comes to the afd they say ever more overt ever bolder so 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 there, there is this this undertone oh my god and now they're even openly discussing that um before we go into the former head of uh, the german domestic uh, constitutional protection intelligence service and the tactical mistakes that he had made. Um, Lucas, let's go into an interesting um, actor from your home country yeah. of Austria, because he's pulled, pulled a very interesting move and tactically incredibly astute. And the German government didn't quite know what to do with it because they, they entangled them into all kinds of contradictions. Over to you. Uh, thank you. Um, you can hear me well now, right? Yes, yes. Perfect. So. Um, I'd just like to add one more thing on the uh, previous topic that Fabian um, enlightened us on. The interesting thing about this whole um, corrective thing, uh, this uh, the secret meeting that they uncovered is, um, think about the following thing. Fabian mentioned the government um, calls people to demonstrate against an opposition party. Now, the only countries where you do have people um, go out in the streets um, to demonstrate against um, opposition parties, that's what you have in dictatorships. That's what you have in socialist regimes. Um, what comes like uh, right around the corner from my home, um, there were 100,000 people. Like officially, at first, there were 150,000 people demonstrating against the AFD. There was just 100,000. There was 80,000. Now it's roughly 50,000. It's still a lot of people. One has to say this. But the thing that came to my mind, um, Todd, 
Christian, you two are the um, most um, mature ones of us. I think you might actually remember um, when Nikolai Ceausescu um, was in, Bu in Bucharest um, for his last big speech and people people were like the crowd was called in to make it seem like uh, he's got a lot of support um, behind him. So whenever there's a government alliance on the same side as protesters, um, this feels sketchy in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, now the second thing that Fabian pointed out um, absolutely correctly, Fabian, you mentioned uh, you mentioned broadcasting, public broadcasting, the way how the government can influence um, the way the masses uh, perceive certain things. Now, some days ago, I um, read data on this, and this is the Tagesschau, which is Germany's 8 p.m. news outlet on television has a 35% market share. This is more than all American cable news networks um, when it comes to news and uh, public broadcasting in the US together. And this is just the federal government, the government mandated um, news. You know, that's a thing where you pay 18 euros, 50 a month or else um, yeah. you go It would to be like if PBS had that market share. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's like, if you refuse to pay PBS, they're gonna, they're gonna put you in jail. <laughs> Um, so, um, coming back to my topic, um, let's talk about Martin Zellner and uh, his really cool publicity stunt. So, um, Martin Zellner, just like myself, is an Austrian by origin. Um, he founded the um, Identitäre Bewegung, you know, the Identitarian Movement. And I always felt like they were kind of like LARPing neo like neo right all they brought alt right uh, concepts um to europe at least it felt like this my hometown at one point um they climbed the green party headquarters the state party headquarters and they unrolled a huge banner where it was like um get like get the migrants back now um so they do kind of like guerrilla marketing which i think is pretty cool and like they're not hurting anyone you know unlike the climate uh people they don't move themselves to the streets um they don't attack pipelines that are actually important to keep the houses warm to keep the factories running so um i, I guess if you're if you're an austrian you're against them you would call that um Basically, um, what, what, young, what young men do when they try to um, figure out, uh, you know, to figure out their role in life. Um, however, Germans tend to be a lot more, um, how do you say, uh, Germans are more narrow-minded in this regard. So Martin Zellner, um, who was actually um, hosting a panel in this remigration forum, um, and who explained what could be legal ways of um, having people remigrate? By the way, there's not a term that AFD came up with. This is the term that um, the Ausländerämter, so the foreigners' offices in many German cities and states, use for people who move back. It's remigration. So, you know, right now it's like, oh, they're just calling it remigration, so they don't have to call it deportation, but they mean the same thing. No, they literally just took the term that the government uses as well. Um, so Martin Zena um, hosted this panel on remigration and what does the city of Potsdam do? Um, they're like, yeah, Martin Zena is dangerous for public safety and public order. And they actually tried to put, they, they tried to put a travel ban on him. So Martin Zena is already banned from the UK. 
um, for reasons of um, public order. I think there's actually post-Brexit, and it was a conservative government that barred him from entering the country. And the German, uh, some German state governments were like, yeah, we also opt for not letting Martin Zeller enter the country. So then Spiegel, uh, Germany's um, Sturmgeschützte Demokratie, as we call it, so the 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 howitzer the, the self-propelled howitzer of democracy <laughs> um they um inquired with the um with the german federal police and they were like yeah is there like a travel ban against uh, martin zana in place and the police were like well we can't say this but they actually um they were looking for zana so they had him in this register for persons of interest for whatever reason now martin zana um who was back in Austria at that point, um, wanted to figure out whether the German government really tried to keep him out of the country. Now, keep in mind, dear American listeners and viewers, uh, there's roughly half a million people every year entering Germany um, without pa like without a passport, uh, but with smartphones. Um, there's half a million people who just appear in Germany, like, you know, between Turkey um, and Germany, there's like five, you need to cross five countries in which you would be legally obliged to um, to apply for asylum. So Martin Zana was like, okay, if they are banning me, they actually know how to keep people out of the country. They just don't care. And if they don't, um, if they don't um, encounter me and if they just ignore me, it just shows that Germany has no um, power over its borders. So Martin Zana did the only right thing, and he, I think he posted it on X, where he's like, yeah. Um, I will be crossing the Passau border checkpoint at 5 p.m. on this very day. Um, afterwards, I intend on eating a strudel and then I'll drive back to Austria. So um, Martin Zana goes there with the rental car and the German police do actually stop him. And they had him in custody for two hours and they found a toothbrush on him. So at this point, German police were very... Uh, they're a bit stiff, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, Mr. Zana, um, you're not supposed to be in Germany for a longer time, because at this point, we might actually do need to check out whether um, you being here is, um, it, like, violates public order or something. But in the end, it was all just, um, it was just smoke. Martin Zana was able to enter the country. There was no travel ban against him for, like, for what reason, after all. He's an EU citizen. Um, he's not been convicted of, of a crime that would justify this. So the German government has simply shown that it's all talk and no sign. It's all talk, no action, basically. And the, the interesting thing is um, he put the German government up with the lose-lose situation. Now, you would think that even... You think that in mainstream media outlets, um, who have been a bit who have been a bit more sympathetic to the AFD's causes recently, not to AFD itself, but who were like like Bild and Welt and Frankfurt Allgemeine, so the three major newspapers, basically Bild being the tabloid, like USA Today equivalent, um, the Frankfurt Allgemeine kind of being this uh, New York Times equivalent. Um, it it appeared like. 2024 started with me thinking that there could be um, a turn towards the right, that other parties would also be like, okay, apparently AFD topics are so important, we need to cover these topics or else AFD is going to skyrocket in the polls. 
And now what happened, um, they they put out this, in, in my opinion, it feels kind of like an, like an agent provocateur thing, this whole thing. Um, it feels like a false flag action. Um, they they make they make this whole um, shebang about the remigration uh, debate, and out of nowhere, AFD losing the polls. Um, German newspapers are like, "Oh yeah, these poor asylum seekers." Like, like um, around the turning of the years, uh, we were already this far of everyone agreeing that asylum seekers are no longer entitled to five hundred euros in cash, roughly a month. But simply a card like, like this, like the SNAP and EBT card, so that they could only pay for certain things. Because right now, uh, refugees in Germany um, wire transfer roughly forty billion euros a year back to their home countries, aka Germany subsidizing these economies with forty billion euros a year. Um, but now um, we're five weeks into this year, and it feels like it's 2023 20, all over again. AFD topics are under heavy attack. Um, you cannot talk about how asylum seekers um, are bothersome people in this country who are um, costing the taxpayer, um, or else you're going to be deemed a Nazi. Our world is changing rapidly. Many crucial systems we depend upon are collapsing. And the most important system that is failing is the food supply. Mr. President, this Council is more than aware of the multiple challenges and threats the world is facing today. But the threat of famine, people starving slowly to death, must be a red line. Now, these food prices are going to keep going up and up, and they're going to keep feeding excuse after excuse, narrative after narrative. Yeah, where so you're going to have, have to get off that treadmill and start getting more autonomous with your own food growing. You want to make sure that you can eat, because frankly, food is the biggest issue as we are going through these transitions. But amidst the chaos, there is a path to resilience. Marjorie Wildcraft is the female leader of the survival and preparedness movement. Marjorie has taught millions of people how to grow an abundance of food in a grid-down situation even if you have no experience, are older, or out of shape. I've spent decades finding the fastest, easiest, and funnest ways for the average person to be able to grow a lot of food. I've created a step-by-step -step process that's so simple that even kids to elders have been using it in order to grow a lot of their own food. And you can too, even if you have no experience, you're older or you're out of shape. Growing your own food is like printing your own money. Get started today. With the open borders, just one quick comment. I remember, I don't know if you guys remember this, but in 2015, they would always say, you cannot possibly stop the migrant flows. It, it is physically impossible to protect your borders in today's world. Well, come 2020, they were able to chase people within the country. I mean, they would prevent people from um, leaving the city borders. Municipal borders were patrolled. We had curfews in place. Curfews. I mean you name it, all of a sudden borders are able to be protected. It's quite interesting, isn't that? So, and, and, and with, with Martin Zellner, what you just mentioned, that if the federal authorities want to protect a border, they certainly are capable. And I mean, what we're witnessing in the U.S. is the obvious, the absolute obvious you see a state saying we want to protect our borders. You see a federal government saying, no, not going to happen. So 
there you go. So ju just to throw that in there for a second, that it's interesting how this little instance proves the point of those that are saying, um, you know, border protection needs to change. I think it's it's a very good point what Martin Zellner has shown how you do it. And obviously uh, the governor of Texas has as well, sort of whereas up to that point, alleging that the federal government doesn't really want to do anything to defend the border would have been a conspiracy theory. Now it's out in the open. And, you know, I mean, uh, I guess everybody has done the pun, but I'm going to jump on the pun anyways. Now we've got a Mexican standoff. But again, the, the principle is the same. You need to call Literally. the other side. Yeah, you, uh, you need yeah. to call the other side's bluff and then get them in a lose-lose situation. You know, so and then Martin Zerner has shown how you do it. The governor of Texas has shown how you do it. There's an interesting footnote. Now, I've mentioned the former head of the German domestic constitutional protection intelligence office. And he, he used to have that office. And then he entangled himself. There, there were... Um, so the media, the story in the media was that uh, in, in a certain uh, East German city, people were chasing migrants down the road. And he said that had not happened. And he was the head of the German domestic spy agency. And he caught a lot of flack, even though, you know, his, his, the validity of his statement st stands. He was um, essentially sacked unceremoniously. And we kept kept talking about that issue, but very milquetoasty conservative. And then obviously now it came out that the new party that he founded, which is called the Value Union, sort of like, you know, the CDU is the Christian Democrat Union. And he just founded the Value Union. He first founded it within the CDU. And they're like, we are not comfortable with that. That's too far right within our own ranks. Now he took that, that party outside. And, um, and as soon as it came out that his... His, for the, the, the agency that he himself headed was now going after him, even though for saying very milquetoasty things like, well, you know, yeah. we need to control the borders and we need to have a conversation about, he, I don't think he even went to the remigration bit. Um, but what then happened, he said, uh, him and his party said, well, yes, we are a conservative party, but obviously uh, they were considered far right. And he's like, no, we are not even all that right. So he, st he started doing the same mistakes that the much, large parts of the right kept doing, apologizing, saying, no, we were not into that, yeah. whereas rather than maneuvering the other side and, and saying, well, or, or taking a high ground maneuver, hey, I'm here to defend Germany, I'm here to, to keep things calm, you can call it what you want, but I'm not going to play that game. Um, he didn't do that and kind of shows why the old school conservative guard, even if they're well-meaning, are losing. Lucas, you wanted to chime in? Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to add two things to this. Um, firstly, um, Whenever you think of the German Federal Constitutional Protection Service and also the state offices, keep in mind the first uh, chairman of the Federal Constitutional Protection Service um, defected to East Germany two years into what he did. So I guess that tells you everything. When he got back to West Germany, uh, they imprisoned him for four years. I think I think the office is just left-leaning at all times. And the second thing that I wanted to add um the values union the Werte union they as chris mentioned they used to be um they used to be just um like an interest group um within the christian democrat party now the christian democrat party has like um a ton of um this um 
associations within the party. You know, you have the youth wing, you have the the um, employed people, you have the small, um, small and medium-sized businesses, you have the women, you have the lesbians and gays. So everything's fine. Keep in mind that the CDU was the party up until the 80s um, who considered um, same-sex stuff um, all bad and shady. Now, they they managed to get to get this in as okay. These people uh, get their own group. Even the even the Protestants um, have their own group within the party. But if you're conservative in a conservative party, they ban you. They said you cannot be a member of the Values Union, be a member of CDU. They kick you out. I think that is remarkable, and probably I'm. Um, Leaving for a moment, but it's still tied to Germany, but we, I also want Todd's input to tie it back to, to the United States. So, Lucas, I think you brought the topic to my attention about liquefied natural gas and how, like, the Biden administration made an interesting decision that it's yet yeah. going to um, affect Germany even further. And then I would like to have Todd's input on what, what, what's his take on, on the whole move given that's the u.s move over to you lucas okay i'm just going to summarize this real quickly um so in i think 2019 2020 um president trump told the germans that um there's some bothersome and dangerous um how do you say dependency on russian gas imports and russia does not deliver uh, liquefied natural gas russia just delivers the natural gas straight through the pipeline as gaseous form um you know there's north stream there's north stream 2 then there's some pipes going through ukraine um well President Trump told us that we should diversify. He did not really say you need to get um, away from the Russians. He just said, um, keep in mind, this is not healthy for a country. So um, Germany was like, yeah, okay, we might be thinking about this only after President Biden then said this, because um, everything that President Trump said was for German politicians, something like a red cloth. Um, they just did not accept it. Um, had Donald Trump told them the right um, Powerball numbers uh, for for Sunday, the German politicians would have been like, "Oh no, I don't believe you because you're Mr. Trump." Anyway, um, so the Americans were like, um, "Yeah, Germany, you should buy more LNG from us." So Germany, um, when this whole um, conf the the special military operation started, um, the 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 germans started uh, building these um terminals for lng in lower saxony i think one's going to be built in sozi Kolstein and the other one in mecklenburg um Vorpommern. so just to make american lng um just to make it possible for americans to bring their um their tank ships here where they can just you know plug into the german pipeline network now, out of nowhere, uh, President Biden now is like, um, oh, yeah, um, this is so bad for the environment. <laughs> We're not going to allow any new LNG, um, like, how do you say, uh, LNG excavating um, sites, etc. So the situation Germany has right now is we put all our hopes in LNG gas, and now the Americans make it so expensive that it's just going to, it's killing the German power intense um, economy. Uh, you have more and more companies um, 
that cannot operate profitably, um, they go bankrupt, or as the, like for the German readers and viewers, as the vice chancellor Habeck said, they're not going bankrupt, they just stop producing stuff. Um, but the thing is, Germany's in real, um, like, it feels like a two-sided attack. Um, it feels like an attack by America on Europe, on Germany in particular. Um, energy prices soar. Uh, the German economy cannot keep this up anymore. And out of nowhere comes uh, President Biden with the, I think, highest deficit ever and goes with like a huge subsidies plan. It's like, oh yeah, when whenever companies from all around the world um, come to the US, um, they get federal subsidies. Um, they don't have to pay full energy prices. By the way, energy prices in the US are anyway, a quarter of what they are in Germany. Um, you know, they get all these additional things, and it feels like the German economy is being actively attacked. What's your that, take, Todd? And, that on and, top. And just one thing quickly: the narrative that that they're pushing, especially in Germany, is absolutely comical. They are. I quote: "Joe Biden is the most pro-European, most friendly European president that we have ever seen." And if we look at the facts, under his administration, we have a war in Europe, our industry is bleeding out, the Inflation Reduction Act has caused our industry basically to move to the US, and what we're witnessing is basically the impoverization of Germany, the economic implosion, the deindustrialization, and a threatening situation where... World War Three is possible at any moment. How in any sane mind is this senile, borderline senile man the most pro-friendly European politician that the White House has ever seen occupy? And the other thing, too, that um, whenever I, I see what they're doing, this cannot be Biden. I mean, because... It, if, if this were a chess game or if this were some kind of a war game, these are genius strokes that they're posting. I mean, what Lucas basically said is, I mean, first you tell us don't buy Russian gas, buy our LNG gas. Then you blow up the pipeline, pipeline gone. Um, and now um, we're not going to give you any LNG gas because guess what? It's environmentally unfriendly. That's how you destroy an industrious uh, economy. Now, it always takes two. It takes one to be incredibly stupid, and it takes one to be the evil genius. Here's what we have. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, over to Todd. So probably just, I mean, the LNG and going easy on fracking obviously has implications well beyond Germany. Um, what's what's your take on and how serious are they about it? And what could be well, behind uh, this is all a, um, a well-known tactic uh called degrowth communism you know i heard somebody ask um was it tucker i think i was listening to one of his interviews and he said okay when somebody talks climate change ask them if there were glaciers around a few thousand years ago and you say yes and then ask them were there suvs around several thousand years ago and they say no and then you say well then why did the glaciers melt and the answer is because it's, you know, the ice age was going the other way. The pendulum was swinging back. I mean, 1850 was a mini ice age. So climate change is degrowth communism. It's for something else. 
and they have to destroy the U.S. They have to destroy Germany for to destroy Western civilization in order to rebuild, like Mao did, everything from scratch. So this is what is going on, and you know they want to destroy German industrialization and the U.S. energy because energy is life. I mean, you see it all over the U.S. now. Food production is being destroyed. Energy is being destroyed. And we're bringing in new populations, a terrorist army into the U.S. So this is real. And uh, I, our audience needs to, you know, to wake up. I mean, and then you they, I think they've war gamed all this out. Lucas is exactly correct because they or uh, Fabian, I think you said it. This, this is genius and it's war gamed out. And so they have different plans, right? So they have A, B, C, D. If this doesn't work, they move to B. If this doesn't work, they go to C. And, you know, C or D is, is World War III. So you see in the U.S. where we have the they've caught multiple immigrants at Hartsfield Airport in Atlanta. There were flights coming in in the middle of the night. So a state senator, a Georgia state senator went down with his staff in the middle of the night, caught them. They were being guarded by U.S. military personnel. The U.S. military personnel assaulted the senator. The governor has said nothing. He's going to Texas to support Texas against immigration. Meanwhile, his state's being overrun. So, um, you know, I think the world, the war is one of the vectors of achieving their goals. And then, you know, you have the UK and, and who else? Uh, Germany talking about a draft. I mean, so they're preparing for this. I mean, that is coming. And you have the, the Gulf of Tonkin incident in Jordan, which sparked, you know, the attacks against Iraq and Syria by the U.S., which is laughable. I mean, it's they let these kids die, and that just angers me to no end. So you've had Ukraine, which you know is we we've, we've had some success shutting down. Israel was completely engineered, and now you have the the new spark, which is attacks on American troops in Syria. Why don't we remove the troops like Trump wanted? Because even Biden said a week ago or a week before the incident, well, so, sooner or later some of them are going to die, and we'll have to attack Iran. Iran. I mean, that's what happened. So that's my comment. And, and, and you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the thing is that this Iran talk, I mean, this has been around since the Bush administration. I mean, this yeah. has been John Bolton policy yeah. um, dating back to the Iraq war. So um, that, that's the thing. It's like their playbook is not new. Their stunts are not new. Mm -hmm. What's new and what's sort of creepy is this alignment of, um, you know, hard leftist cultural ideas in, in, in par with capitalist big corporations. It's fascism. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, here's, here's the state of the world we're in. You either have Taylor Swift from their opinion, saving the world from Trump or <laughs> World War III. I mean, those are the options. I mean, those are the stunts they're going to pull. Super Bowl Sunday, Taylor Swift. If that doesn't work, all right, well, guess what? Um, it's Lithuania. Well, there will be terror attacks in the U.S. That's plan C or B. You know, I mean, if, if the lawfare doesn't work, which all the, the suits against Trump are dropping like flies, uh, you know, Big Fanny's in trouble. Jack Smith's case just got dropped. Florida case disappeared. You know, Jean Carroll is not going to get her $83 million and, and take the NBC, you know, what's her name on MSNBC shopping. But, you know, it, it's just it's comical what's going on here. But it, it's not going to be comical when they realize which they have realized because they launched a bioweapon on the West, right? And so they, that was a serious step. And now they've taken that step. They've crossed the Rubicon. They can't go back. So they have to continue ratcheting up the evil genius ways. And I agree with you. Biden is not doing this. And somebody inside the White House or somebody of note, and I forget who, but I was reading it this morning, said the 
the quiet part out loud that it's not Biden making these decisions. It's it's somebody else. So uh, probably, and um, I think we, we can then wrap up today's part. And then there are a lot of threats to pick up again um, next week to come. But there's one bit that we've kind of omitted, but it's really, really interesting because it dates like so many things far back. So you guys have met, Lucas has demonstrated the perfect pincer move. So you tell, you have a country that's over-dependent, and I'm going to come into why it was over-dependent on Russian gas. You tell them, no, don't do that. For good measure, a pipeline mysteriously blows up. Once you've gotten them dependent, like, oh, oops, um, no, we're not going to help you. Um, but as, uh, as you guys said, it takes two to tango. But there is another factor in this, which is, well, what, what about nuclear? Obviously, we had the German government shutting down in the middle of an energy crisis, three nuclear power plants. I've read a, um, the analysis by an American think tank that said, look, we, you guys could bring eight nuclear power plants, including the ones you shut down years ago, back onto the grid within a year, if, if you so choose. And modern reactors... Um, so typically in, the, in Germany, the argument was always like, what to, do, what to do with the nuclear waste? It's going to be there like for 20,000 years, but they're like cool new ways to actually recycle it um, for quite a bit. Now, there's something interesting. The Green Party has an almost negative fetish, so to speak, about nuclear. That is the great evil for them. And there's something interesting. And Lucas did point out <laughs> that Todd and I were the more mature ones and that quite possibly um, uh, our playmate was Benjamin Disraeli. But what we do remember, um, there um, much of the anti-nuclear demonstrations in the 1980s, it turns out they were financed and instigated by the German Democratic Republic. And I think that's where a lot of these useful idiots in the Green Party, and I don't think for a second that any of them, I think many of them are, and I hate to say good people, not very smart people, but good people. Are there, they're, well, if they are our foreign minister, then, then they're stupid, but sort of our minister of economics at least is a midwit. They're well-meaning. And that's where they cut their teeth and that their worldview was shaped um, in terms of the anti-nuclear, like first against nuclear weapon. And, but there is something else. There is, you might remember that former um, foreign minister that Germany had when the Green uh, Social Democrat coalition under Gerd Schroeder came into power. He was his former street fighter, former hard left street fighter, Joska Fischer. And he um, recently, and he always kept saying, well, you, Europe should, uh, should have nuclear rearmament or armament, rearmament as far as Germany is controlled, because that's what's going to help us against Russia and secure a way in the world. But he's dead against nuclear power because, you see, that is dangerous. And that is also one of these factors, the war on nuclear, um, that sort of, you know, you eliminate dirty coal, you eliminate even natural gas, you take out the form of, of Russian gas, and then you say, oh yeah, and by the way, you can't do nuclear. And I mean, again, France, fortunately, thinks otherwise, but interesting enough, its sources of, 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 of uranium are under threat at the moment, as we're seeing with sort of things where we always were wondering, why does French France hold on to, to these places, you know, that seem to be rather some scorched and worse not nothing else there but uranium so so even that is 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 a piece of the puzzle which is very very interesting it takes two to tango and our elites lapped it up in the in their days and their formative years that nuclear is the great evil so even that route is for close to germany we've shut down our nuclear industry which german nuclear reactors used to be world leading 
in the sense that there, there was always the world record set by the total gigawatt produced per year. And they were set many, many years in a row by German reactors because they were that good. We've pretty much killed that industry. Siemens, I think, has dismantled that, that particular part of, of, of its conglomerate. And it's pretty much only the French who still can do it in Europe. Interestingly enough, the Brits under Rishi Sunak, and that might be the only good part of his legacy, have quietly, are going quietly pro-nuclear again. We'll see what becomes of that. A couple of years ago, David Cameron wanted the Chinese to build those nuclear reactors. That's a, a story for a different day. Well, but this yes. is actually what happened. One of these reactors that's like so far back, and I, I think it was scheduled to be finished this year, and it's still not finished, but I've read that the Chinese company is like holding 50% of the shares or something. I would need to dive into that case, but I do know that, that uh, yes, David Cameron wanted the Chinese involved big time in financing UK infrastructure and building and financing. Wonder, wonder why. Apartments. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he is now foreign minister of the United Kingdom and was brought yeah. back. I mean, uh, yeah, you, you literally can't make it up. And I mean, stuff that I would have dismissed as conspiracy theories maybe just half a year ago. Suddenly, some things are looking mm -hmm. very, very interesting. Um, to be sure, and I mean, um, I'm writing at the moment an article in, about European agricultural uh, development and the farmer, farmer protest, and just as a footnote, we can dive into that last time. The issues on the one end are highly specific to the countries, but there are some uniting um, factors, but we'll discuss that. I'll discuss it in the article, and then we can pick up the thread in the next um, show, and it is very very interesting also the developments um um that 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 are uh, that that are worrisome to 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 say the least but also interesting um in terms of how ukraine and all of these kind of issues that we are seeing are seem to be connected to a degree to to be very careful and i i think that's probably the question that i'm starting to ask myself is are we witnessing already a a version of world war three in in yes. the form of proxy wars um i mean it, it, most people don't know this but for example in 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 asia the uh, uh the 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 battles fought for or if you will the the asian theater east asian theater for world war ii already started in the late 30s china was fighting wars in manchuria already I mean, you know, you don't have that day where everything starts, the day that shall live in infamy, right? You, you usually don't have that unless it's World War One and people are on summer vacation and all of a sudden stumble into a war and actually are cheered um, on their way down uh, to, to start the fighting. And that's probably the other thing that's quite frightening of today is that we've been studying, historians have been studying how could World War One ever happen? How was this possible? And you look at basically the stupidity of, of, of the situation, how it basically Tsar Nicholas and Kaiser Wilhelm could have easily prevented this, but they didn't. And we're sort of in the same quagmire here that you have all of these proxy wars that are incredibly dangerous and they could stumble into something that could be cataclysmic. So all I can say to the audience is pray Pray for peace. Get on your knees and pray. One of the most encouraging signs that I've been seeing, actually, uh, is, and this, Lucas, will please you, um, unless you're not a monarchist, but um, 
the there have been shrines dedicated to Blessed Emperor Carl, um, especially in Texas, out of all places, um, that people have been starting to say that he was a, he was an inspirational figure of peace. He was a leader that in the end was able to sacrifice himself for his own country. How many people would do that? How many of our leaders, of any of these leaders, would do that today? I don't think there's any single one of them that would sacrifice themselves for their people or their country or their civilization. They would absolutely not do it. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, where are the sons of America? Where are the sons of Germany? Where are the sons of France that rise up and say, enough is enough? We want to live in peace with our brethren. We are not going to fight a stupid war, which will continually annihilate our civilization, which has been taking place, by the way, already, just in different forms. So um, certainly, I just have to say to the audience, get on your knees and pray. Well, if you do a deep dive into, uh, say, Nikki Haley, and her real name is Nimrata, and you know who does that remind you of king nimrod who brought back the occult after the flood and who tried to build the tower of babel to reach heaven and whatever else they were trying to do and uh they were stymied by you know speaking different languages all of a sudden and that was the last one world government if you think about it and they want the one world government back so it's fascinating if you go down the rabbit holes but. <laughs> and and the good news is it, it, it has always failed. Yeah, the attempts to to start a one world they have always failed. Alexander the Great couldn't do it. The Babylonians couldn't do it. It always collapses. It just doesn't work. Yep. The communists weren't able to do it either. So far, <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is a good, albeit gloomy, note to wrap up today's podcast i think there are many many threats we're pulling at the moment we'll be revisiting next week and and when things are not as frantic anymore <laughs> we'll hope we can revisit some of our cultural bits where we'll revisit our sort of religion five minutes and probably even our five minutes of world literature i mean i'm particularly fascinated now living in vienna with um but really looking into the, the, the writers who wrote around those pivotal times that, 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 that Fabian has mentioned. And um, yeah, looking forward for the next episode and let's see what will have happened until then. It's certainly going to remain interesting. All right, thank you guys. Thank you. Forever and ever.